Have you ever thought about the connection between jazz music and the Christian faith? Hello and welcome back to the God Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and today's guest on the show is William Edgar and he's here to talk about his new book from IVP into Varsity Press called A Supreme Love, The Music of Jazz and the Hope of the Gospel. William is Professor of Apologetics and Coordinator of the Apologetics Department at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia in the States, as well as Professor Associé at the Faculté Jean in Aix-en-Provence in France. And William joins me now from the States. William, hi. Hello. Nice to be here. And a pleasure for, for you to be here with us, sir. Thank you. Now, what is the connection between jazz and the Christian gospel? Yeah. Have you got a couple of weeks? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well they, they're intimately connected at many levels. Uh, the aesthetic level, as I argue in the book, the narrative of, of jazz is often parallel to the narrative of uh, the Christian faith, moving from misery to joy. And then there's direct connections. Uh, for example, spirituals that were born in praise houses during slavery um, became the roots of, of jazz music. And these spirituals are thoroughly imbued with the Christian message. So there are lots of, lots of levels. Yes, uh, the connection with uh, the African-American experience and slavery is profound, isn't it? How, how was jazz born out of that experience, the experience of slavery and suffering? Yeah, it, it's a good question. I mean, the precursors to jazz, which include spirituals, blues, ragtime, marching bands, all had deep connections with the Christian message, but they came together. Uh, much like estuaries and a, a central um, river in the early 20th century, uh, for reasons that are not entirely certain, um, sort of a miracle happened and they converged. And out of this came this extraordinary music we call jazz. Now, jazz has had many, many phases and uh, episodes, um, but the essence, I think, is the same and uh, reflects the Christian message. Why was jazz so influential and so important in the 1920s? Right. 1920s is called the Jazz Age. Um, that's a bit of a misnomer. I think the Jazz Age, you know, by F. Scott Fitzgerald was meant to express freedom, short skirts, cakewalk dancing, and so forth. Jazz actually has little to do with all of that. It was born in uh, New Orleans and uh, usually with small groups such as the Hot Five or the Hot Seven. And um, it was uh, popular only gradually with white people who began to understand uh, what it was outside of the, the confines of just white entertainment music. So uh, I'm not saying there was no connection, but I think the 1920s was a time after the First World War where um, fresh music was welcomed and um, it came in the form of, of jazz. Why is jazz best understood in the light of the gospel, do you think? Well, I don't want to say that music is a sermon in disguise uh, because it's metaphorical, uh, but I think the language of jazz 
is is very parallel to the language of uh, biblical faith. So just take one example. Um, when the Psalms say, um, you've moved me from mourning to dancing, uh, one finds that uh, narrative in a lot of jazz music. It's, it's mourn, mournful, uh, it's rooted in hard life and sin and the trenches, but it moves out of that into something more joyful. Uh, and I think that that has to do with the Christian message. Yes. Was jazz a music of protest? Absolutely. It wasn't always self-consciously protest music. In the 20s, it was uh, just wonderful entertainment. But uh, as it moved ahead with Duke Ellington and uh, Miles Davis and others, it became a form of protest against commercial music, uh, white hegemony, the kind of e easygoing bourgeois mentality of the time. Now, I don't want to exaggerate that because I, it, jazz was also profoundly entertaining. But uh, when you listen to bebop and uh, Miles Davis and others and the cool movement, you find that there's a, a protest against the kind of syrupy uh, entertainment music that was there in the in the 30s. And many, many scholars consider that the protest runs very deep. It it is parallel to civil rights. Some some scholars believe it's parallel to uh, more liberationist uh, ideologies. I think you have to be careful with that, but there's there's something to it. To what extent did jazz emerge out of the funeral processions in New Orleans? Because you write about that in the book. I found that fascinating. Right. I think that's the most proximate source of jazz. The funeral procession, and it's still going on in, in New Orleans today, uh, begins with, well, first of all, the deceased person belonged to different societies, and each of these societies had their own jazz band. Uh, well, it wasn't called jazz at the time. And uh, at the funeral, the band would stand outside of the church when the, the, the service was going on and mourning the loss, and it would sing, it would play music of uh, sadness. And then um, as the procession went out to the gravesite and as the body was interred, the, the band would light up into more joyful songs, like the saints going marching in. Or mm. oh, okay, uh, and um, that narrative, if I can put it that way, was a direct feeder into the music of jazz. Jazz music is never very far away from uh, the New Orleans funeral. Yeah, why was New Orleans so important in the development of jazz? Do you think? Yeah, good question been debated a great deal. Um, well, for one thing, it was a slightly more liberal city than some of the places um, where dancing and jazz were forbidden in the rest of the South. For another thing, it was full of intrigue, lots of civil issues. So for example, Louis Armstrong, who was the originator of jazz, grew up in a waif and um, he was given a cornet 
and he started to practice and play with the big boys. And um, I don't think that would have happened quite as easily in other cities. Oh, there's lots of reasons. New Orleans is kind of a magical place. Just to give you an, an idea, uh, there's a, a part of New Orleans uh, called Congo Square. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's now Louis Armstrong Na National Park. But in, in the day, it was a place where uh, slaves and some freed people could come and entertain and be entertained um, during free time. And that, I don't believe, occurred in too many other cities. So New Orleans is a, a very special place. And you can trace the origins of jazz to to all kinds of aspects of New Orleans life. I've never been to New Orleans. I would love to go, and I love the idea of a Louis Armstrong National Park. I think that's <laughs> I think that's just terrific. Yeah. Now, going back to the beginning into the spirituals and the spiritual tradition, uh, how did jazz emerge out of the spirituals? So here's an example from a, a witness, because most masters didn't approve of the conversion of their slaves for various dubious reasons. Um, the slaves on plantations worshipped in uh, praise houses, uh, which were kind of log cabins way off on the side of the plantation. And um, there was often a, a preacher, self-educated, but who had memorized the King James Bible and <clears throat> who spoke as we are, and then his sermon uh, moved into more cantillation and uh, sing-song, and it was responded to. There was a call-and-response pattern. And out of that, uh, songs emerged that were uh, based on Bible themes, heroes, redemptive ideas. Um, and uh, we have testimonies of how, uh, for example, one preacher uh, spoke about the dry bones from Ezekiel, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, one woman writes in her diary, in her chronicle, um, that it, it was a very short step between um, his elevated uh, singing of the psalm, of the uh, sermon, to uh, congregational singing. Now, there were other connections as well. Another interesting one is, I've said that masters didn't particularly appreciate their slaves being Christian, but some of them did want, they had a conscience and they wanted their slaves to be educated, taught them to read and so on, and sometimes brought them to church. And in the church, they had to sit in the back row, um, but they heard, believe it or not, the music of the Psalms uh, in the Calvinist tradition sung a cappella and very slowly because there was no musical instruments. And um, they were often antiphonal where the lead singer uh, would start a verse and then the congregation would repeat it after him. And this sounds very dull uh, as I describe it, but it was actually very beautiful and austere. And um, black people heard this and they were reminded of their music in Africa and began to participate. And in the gaps uh, where you could imagine there were plenty of them, but in an antiphonal setting, um, they began to improvise. Uh, they moved into falsetto, and uh, they moved into grace notes and so on. 
And that that was also one of the origins of jazz, because jazz, unlike uh, Western music, is much more improvised. improvised. Mm -hmm. Uh, can we come on and deal, deal with a bit more of the documentary evidence? Because you include quite a bit of documentary evidence from journals in your book, which I found fascinating, uh, proving really a connection between uh, the spirituals and jazz, and that the, the African-American folk were singing what, in effect, sounds to me like a very early form of jazz. Yeah, they were. And um, though the evidence is somewhat sparse, uh, one of the great sources... Um, is slave narratives. People like Frederick Douglass uh, wrote eloquently on um, what the condition of black people was and, and how their music emerged out of their suffering. Mm -hmm. um, so did this character called Sojourner Truth and uh, Equiano and many others. So that's one documentary source, and they're discovering more of these all the time. Another one is Chronicles of uh, visitors uh, or observers of uh, slaves in uh, captivity. Now, these chronicles have to be taken with a grain of salt because often they're uh, prejudiced uh, in favor of, you know, so-called Western civilization and so on. But they they tell us of the um, the, the the singing, the free sense of 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 uh the songs uh benjamin franklin of all people comments on how uh black people seem to sing more uh exuberantly and freely than the typical white person so there's that kind of documentation then there's other very very uh nitty-gritty documentation for example um newspaper classified ads calling for the capture of a runaway slave. And they would sometimes say, uh, you can identify him because he plays a very, very fine banjo or he's a great harmonica player or whatever. And uh, so all of these evidences, and there's more and more of them coming out, um, and were supported by uh, people like the Smithsonian Institution in discovering them, uh, show uh, a considerable degree of um, connection. What drew slaves to the gospel? Right. I mean, the obvious answer is they saw in Jesus Christ um, someone who was for them, a fellow slave who had suffered and uh, died and was raised. And um, they began to identify with heroes like Moses and and Daniel and and others who were seen as oppressed people that nevertheless found liberation through this message. And one of the great miracles I would contend is that they often made the difference between the Christ of the scriptures, which was preached by all kinds of people, and the lifestyle of those who claimed to be Christian but, you know, who Monday morning would take the cat of nine tails and, and uh, mistreat their slaves. And that, to me, that's a great miracle because, you know, they, they were not simply mindlessly listening to the often moralistic and oppressive messages of the evangelists, but they saw Jesus as uh, their friend. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, and one of the other uh, things that fascinated me was the connection you make in your book between uh, the spiritual gospel tradition and the blues. Right. I mean, the blues is a very crucial component of, of jazz, and the t it's a first cousin of spirituals. Uh, the blues was born in uh, the time we call Jim Crow, which was after the Civil War, um, when supposedly there was emancipation, but rapidly carpetbaggers and others came and oppressed blacks and kept them from voting, kept them from being educated. And and yet they sang this music, which was, I mean, you were talking about protest earlier. The blues is very much a music of, of protest against injustices. Uh, it's very colorful music. It uh, parallels uh, life, uh, the experience of a black person with lost love or a woman who leaves you or whatever it might be. And um, so the blues becomes really one of the great embodiments of this narrative of misery to joy. Yes. How many uh, early or who were some of the early jazz musicians who were we might call them Christians, really. I mean, I think you mentioned Jelly Roll Morton in your book, and uh, Duke Ellington, was he another one? Yeah, very much so. Uh, Duke was a, a very strong believer. Um, right back to the beginning, people like James Reese Europe, Jim Europe, uh, who was who led an army band and went to, 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 to Europe uh, to, to play, um, he, he believed that the music he was playing was Christian, um, people like King Oliver was oh, a yeah. deeply spiritual man, deeply mm. spiritual. And one of the documents, you talked about documents, we have a, a collection of his letters to his sister when he was on his deathbed, and it's in full of references uh, to God's care and the Lord's mercy. Uh, so these early musicians, very many of them were, were Christians. Uh, they may have been brought up in the church. They may have just heard the message and sympathized with it. Um, and that there, you still find a lot of that through the different phases of jazz history. Um, there's plenty of them out there today. What are some of the important Christian works that were written in jazz mode, thinking of some of the larger works? Well, of course, the go-to reference for me was Duke Ellington's Sacred Concerts. And towards the end of his life, he wrote three uh, oratorios, in a jazz mode, um, featuring all of uh, the Christian themes, and they were played all over the world, and they're still pl we played in our band, so that's one. But there's many, many others. Uh, various musicians, for example, I don't know, different different jazz players would write celebrations, uh, oratorios, gospel. Uh, songs. For example, Billy Taylor, uh, one of the great uh, pianists of jazz, you don't think of him as a, a Christian composer, but he was. He wrote a beautiful set of celebratory songs. And um, John Coltrane, uh, who's a rich, confusing, complex person, mm. um, wrote a good deal of, of sacred music. Um, meditations on the Lord's Prayer, and uh, of course the book title reflects his great masterpiece, uh, A Love Supreme. 
which was a celebration of God's love. So uh, it's quite abundant, really. Mm. Yes, fascinating. I hadn't realized all of this. Uh, did jazz lead to rock and roll? Absolutely. There's a fun saying of jazz historians, jazz had a baby and they called it rock and roll. <laughs> um, it went through the channel of urban blues and um, it was very much um, the bluesy background that led to rock and roll. Uh, Louis Jordan, for example, mm -hmm. uh, wrote yes. Caledonia and other place pieces. Uh, he's considered really the father of of rock and roll. The expression goes back to the 20s. Uh, there was a couple of songs called Baby Rock Me With One Steady Roll. And um, then this is a bit controversial, but the more we get to know Elvis Presley, the more we realize he borrowed, and I'm using a polite word, from the black tradition of, that he grew up with. And uh, so you can't possibly separate the best rock and roll from its jazz origins. Mm. Yes, I think the uh, the Elvis the recent Elvis movie directed by Baz Luhrmann showed that uh, the, the yeah. scene where Elvis, as a boy, goes to a Pentecostal revival meeting and receives what I take to be the baptism of the spirit uh, in Pentecostal right. terms. Yes, yeah, and it's very dramatic and it's a fabulous scene. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting, fascinating. Uh, we're just about at the end of our time, William. I'm sorry, it's been it's been great. What are some of the records that you would recommend or you might recommend for a so you've got a beginner in jazz, somebody listening to this who wants to explore jazz for the first time. Where do they well, go? A of, yeah, a couple of suggestions. In the book, I actually list a discography of must-listen-to records, um, and they go back to the beginning uh, with the Hot Five and Hot Seven, and they go through Duke Ellington, and they go through some of the moderns like uh, Errol Garner and so forth. And I think... The listener, the the amateur would do well to access those, and most of them are available on uh, YouTube. The other one is, uh, I think, the the laudable documentary done by Ken Burns on jazz. It, it's not perfect, but it's laudable. Uh, comes with a CD, and that's one of the best samples of great jazz music. So those would be two places to go to, to get initiated. Mm. And the other thing to do is go to nightclubs and listen to it, <laughs> listen to it live. Yeah, you can do that in the states. We, I don't, I don't think we've got. I think we've got a few jazz nightclubs in New Zealand, oh, yeah. but not not very many. But uh, yeah, okay. Uh, when I come to when I come to the states and visit New Orleans, I'm my first thing on my my list to do is go to some jazz nightclubs. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you, William Edgar, and his book, his new book from IVP America is called A Supreme Love, The Music of Jazz and the Hope of the Gospel. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and take care of things behind the scenes. William, thank you so much for a fascinating discussion. You're welcome, Brandon. Good to meet you. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter you'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. 
As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.